Colin, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we talk about everything and anything cannabis and try to help you navigate this space as you're making decisions about your own health and wellness, visiting dispensaries and trying to see whether or not this might be an industry that you want to be involved in. And today we are really fortunate to have the executive director and co-founder of Portland-based company called New Leaf Project a company that is working to boost minority ownership and employment and success in the cannabis industry. She's the VP of Global Marketing and Communication at Denver Cannabis Tech Company, Akina, Akerna, and previously worked in corporate America at various companies, including Coca-Cola, where she was a merger and acquisition executive, but also left the corporate world to educate and advocate for cannabis and truly make an impact on society. I'm talking about the one and only Jeanette Ward-Horton. Thank you so much, Jeanette, for being a part of the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about you started out in the corporate world and transitioned into cannabis. First off, how did that happen, but why did that happen? Yeah, great. So I um, was really excited about the opportunity offered to me at Akerna. Um, we are today a publicly traded technology company on NASDAQ. Our ticker symbol is Kern, K-E-R-N, so the name's Akerna. Uh, but when I joined them five years ago, the company was called MJ Freeway, and cannabis industry was still relatively new. But it was such an exciting opportunity to join an industry that was starting from the ground up, yet, you know, secretly in the closet, it already had a large consumer base. And you were you were recruited by what two of the two of the female founders? Yes, I was, and so um, they gave me the opportunity to run my own marketing department, as well as there's just such an exciting proposition that this company has with data. They own um, the aggregate rights to anonymize data, which is such a valuable thing um, for understanding consumer behaviors and insights, and for those are the things that we do for. Uh, cannabis is owned by people of color, and again, we're funded from the city of Portland tax dollars, so taking those profits and reinvesting them right into communities of color. Well, and now that's, that's very interesting, because in Portland and in, in Oregon, there is an equity program that exists, right, that, you know, uh, uh, provides a certain number of licenses have to be designated for people of color, minorities, women. So right. Oakland has Oakland has that um, has that provision as well as several other states and cities, but Oregon actually does not have a provision for a license to go to people of color. Oh wow, I thought it did. I thought it, it did. didn't. I'll t I'll tell you something that, that that makes Oregon really work around their licenses um, for people of color is that they have unlimited licensing. So unlike some states where they cap the licenses, Florida, for example, uh, originally only gave out ten licenses. Um, and then other states who um, will cap licenses and say we're just going to not not give out licenses right now. We're going to put a freeze on them or a hold on them. Any sort of license cap makes it harder for people of color to own a business because it makes it more expensive. So we have unlimited licensing, and that's a, a good plan. And then the licenses are relatively inexpensive, and that's important for the licensing fees to be a couple of thousand versus um, you know two hundred fifty thousand. 
Gotcha. Now, part of what the requirement, though, is for your company to be able to give grants is that the company has to be, what, 51% owned or 51% owned by a person of color? That's right. That's right. We do. Um, we do require that. Okay. And then you not only give advice, like you, you give advice not only for how to find a job at the executive level in the cannabis industry, but you also give advice on how to get your records expunged. Is that also right? So um, I'll start with the first thing. We do have a professional arm of a newly new project that helps to create, as you said, pathways for um, for people to get executive jobs in the cannabis industry. The idea there being that um, these cannabis companies will be billion-dollar uh, businesses one day, and if you join them early and join them at the right level, that will create intergenerational wealth as well. So there are two paths, intergenerational wealth in the cannabis industry, so creating wealth for yourself as well as your family. Um, it's ownership of your own business and entrepreneurship as well as uh, an ownership stake in one of these startup businesses. So that's the first part of what you mentioned. And the second part was expungement. And so we don't um, do expungements today with New Leaf projects, but it's something close to my heart. I did run um, expungement clinics in uh, Portland as well as in Seattle, um, the, first, the first of their kind, these um, expungement clinics where we did everything necessary for someone to expunge their record in one day. Well, that was part of that Rise Up program. Yeah, the Rise Up Expungement program we did with Marley Natural um, and MCBA. I started doing equity work in the cannabis industry with an organization called Minority Cannabis Business Association, and they focus on national policy uh, around equity. Oh, okay. Because, okay. You know, what's going? We got to think federal. We have to think local right now um, with cannabis policy and, and equity. And I think that's because, you know, talk a little bit about the history of race and cannabis, in, especially in the Portland area. That's a, I'd love to. <laughs> so um, we started by talking about data and, and how many youth at 81% of cannabis arrests were African-Americans. Just the sheer number, the sheer percentage of African-Americans arrested um, in Portland. So we have data that shows between uh, 2010 and 2016, 6% of African-American population in Portland that they were 70% um, of the arrests. If you lived in the city of Portland and you were African-American, you were arrested or one of your close family members was arrested and, without question. And so that had an economic impact on you and your children's children. And it's, you know, it's real. And if it's important to a city to... Um, improve the economic outcomes of their communities, this is a really excellent way to take new profits and invest them into the communities that were harmed by the same plant when it was illegal. Right. I mean, I think to, to juxtapose that, and you gave us some data saying that, you know, in Portland, you know, where Native Americans were, uh, are less than 1% of the population, they were arrested at a 1%. All right. And Asians who yes. were... Uh, right, uh, the Asian That's percentage right. Right. Was, was was way less than one percent, but That's they right. represent a larger than one percent population in in the Portland area. So, I mean, it is it is at least um, you know the fact that they are trying, or not just they are, but you are, and organizations like yours are trying to right some of the past wrongs is is uh, admirable. Well, thanks for for that. I think it's important that anyone who um, 
you know, who's, who was impacted by cannabis criminalization or who cares about this issue really should um, make noise and join other organizations and start lobbying for this. We see all of the presidential can, uh, candidates right now who have cannabis um, proposals they put forward, Bernie Sanders being the most recent, um, and his having very similar language to uh, what was in Portland's language when the voters voted. So very similar similar equity approach and how the cannabis dollars, tax dollars would be reinvested. So I think um, I think this is something we can all get behind and we can put our votes behind it and we can put our um, our voice behind supporting this kind of policy because we have an opportunity to make it happen. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. You have a brand. You and your husband have a brand that's called Saint Cannabis. Saints Cannabis. Is that right? It's actually called Loud. Um, it's called Loud. Okay. Uh huh. Spelled L O W D. All right, and that's that's you can find that in the, in the Portland area, right? Yeah. So Loud is a craft cannabis brand here in the Portland area, and um, it is. You know, owned by African Americans, majority and uh, 100% investment from African Americans, which is highly unusual. So we're very proud of, as I said, um, the bootstrapping and the ability to launch a really incredible product, um, but also a brand, um, a loud African American cannabis brand. And, and what does the brand include? Does it have is flour, edibles? What's the brand? Talk, talk yeah, a little bit about the brand. Absolutely. So today, um, it's a cultivation brand that produces just flour. So um, top shelf uh, flour and um, some strains unique to this brand and uh, our particular favorite called Wi-Fi uh, has quite the fan following. And it also has won uh, a Dope Cup Award. Uh, okay. 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 And that's available in dispensaries, multiple dispensaries? Do you just provide to your own? How, do, how can somebody reach out and try to find it? Yeah, you can find it actually right now in Green Hop. So um, we have just launched on the market in the last couple of months, and I highly encourage you to go to Green Hop, which is an African-American-owned dispensary, and uh, pick up pick up Wi-Fi, pick up Loud. Ah, okay. All right. Well, now, what, what advice would you give you know, other people who are thinking about trying to get into and venture into this business, what advice would you give them? I would say um, start now. Uh, if you're thinking about it, go right ahead and start now. You can learn a lot on the internet. You know, I get asked often to pick uh, people to pick my brain, or Jesse does. Jesse gets asked, asked that much more than me. And, you know, he learned how to grow, he learned how to launch a cannabis business really on the internet. And then going to classes, there are classes you can take uh, being offered usually locally. So, um, but, you know, Google cannabis classes, cannabis training, and often you states, I, don't, I can't think of a state that doesn't have that, doesn't have an organization offering that. So there's so many places you can get started learning the craft and learning the industry. Um, and then then I would say it's time to go expand your network and find out because you will know someone who knows someone and get an introduction so that you can start asking some questions and really refining what you want to do next and refining your launch. Um, and then come, come join us. There's lots of, there is money to be made and it's, it's start now is what I would recommend. Well, what's what's next for you and Jesse? What, what's next on your list? I continue to want to help um, 
solve this capital challenge for um, cannabis entrepreneurs of color and help um, invest cannabis tax dollars into communities um, impacted by the war on drugs. That's that's very important to me um, because we have a moment in time, I think, to make that happen, and then uh, we won't. So I think focusing on that will be important. I've got um, a newborn son, so I'm going to take some time with him, and, and then we'll see. We'll see what's next. And how about what's next for your Akurna company? What's next for them? Akurna uh, is on a path of uh, really high revenue growth with some acquisitions um, in the pipeline that we will um, um, be looking at, as well as um, just building up the current product, building up MJ platform and leaf data systems and doing that um, uh, through both investment and R&D into the product, as well as the acquisitions that I mentioned before. So there's just going to be a lot of growth and a lot of focus on the enterprise customer who is um, really um, making these big SaaS type ERP investments. And we're looking forward to looking forward to that ride. Now, that, that, that company is based in Colorado, correct? Yes, company's based in Colorado. Um, it has clients, though, uh, across the globe. We've served clients in 13 countries, and we've actually tracked $16 billion in cannabis uh, sales since, since inception. And when you say $16 billion in cannabis sales, that's across the globe? It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you got to explain a little bit of that, because I don't think anybody really recognizes how fast the cannabis industry is growing outside of the United States. Why don't you explain a little bit about that? Well, yeah, that's actually, yeah, absolutely. So the cannabis industry and the hemp industry are growing, um, I would say exponentially outside of, the, outside of the U.S. Start with the cannabis industry. Um, countries like Colombia are making concerted efforts to treat cannabis so it's federally legal, and they've allowed it for export, and they're making a concerted effort to really cultivate the industry the way, um, you know, they've cultivated coffee and flowers, um, Etc. So they're really looking at this as um, a, a big export crop for them and making the kind of investments and setting up the kind of um, regulation to make that happen. We've got quite a few customers in Colombia, uh, MJ Platform does at Kerna. So same, Spain has had um, a market of clubs, and our largest customer base is actually internationally in Spain. Um, they've had a market of cannabis clubs where you join the club and then you, um, um, you're legally allowed to purchase and consume. So that has been um, just the way that in Amsterdam operates in a similar kind of space um, where it's kind of a um, semi-legal space. Uh, so that has happened in, in Europe quite a bit. And so it's developed this normalization uh, where those markets are ripe and ready um, for federal legalization. So I think, I think, and then there's hemp in Asia, and you just there's so much, so much there in terms of uh, hemp production. So and, and hemp production in Asia, hemp production in Asia is more focused on the other usages of hemp, correct? That's right. That's right. More on the industrial usages. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of people mm-hmm. aren't even aware of the fact that you know hemp is is used in so many different ways uh, from from building supplies to even uh, filaments for batteries right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's, yeah, I mean, it's 
is expansive how much more opportunity there is in the cannabis industry, whether you're talking about hemp or, or THC cannabis products that we don't know yet, the applications and the uses from medicinal to industrial. It's, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> well, I mean, now, so you could probably address or think about what do you think is the future here in the United States? I mean, we're looking at right now only 34 states in the District of Columbia that have some form of cannabis law, and it seems like the other 15 states there may be a three or four of them that come online, but there's, you know, easily four or five that are fighting the opportunity completely. So what do you think, if you crystal balled, what do you think is going to happen here in the United States? Will we ever Federally. get to a point where the federal government makes some sort of a, a move? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got within four years. With a presidential within. change or without, I still think we've got within four years. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think even, even like you just said, without, I believe that this this current president understands the viability of of uh, the value of making a decision on the, the cannabis space that he may think um, would be advantageous to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So I think we're close, which is why I say my advice to people is run, get in the industry now, um, because we have this opportunity while everyone has to compete. It's hard to compete multi-state and multi-country. People are doing it, but it's very difficult, very capital intensive because the regulation is so complex. So you can really create a viable local brand, which you need less capital for that. And then those viable local brands will get bought. So I want people to, or you'll, you'll get the capital you need to expand nationally when the law changes. I do want people who are thinking about this to run and then I want cities and states to invest money into these businesses, put capital into these local entrepreneurs, these diverse entrepreneurs. There are so many diamonds in the rough out here who have managed to beat all odds and launch these cannabis businesses who are undervalued, who need this money to grow. And then we solve a challenge. It's a win-win for cities. You solve a challenge by improving communities, um, by pr- improving um, you know, your entrepreneurship base tax dollars. There's a lot to be said. We've seen, a, we've seen a lot of returns from the businesses we've invested in. So for me, it just comes full circle, I guess. That's great. That's unbelievable. No, thank you. Well, I know that you've, uh, you know, you're right now, as a matter of fact, you've been talking to me from the hospital. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, our, our prayers are definitely going out to you, and I can't say thank you enough, Jeanette, Jeanette for being a part of today's Let's Be Blah, Blah, Montel. We'd love to have you back at a future date. Well, I'd, I'd love to come back. I'd love to tell you about how New Leaf evolved and what we're learning and um, maybe do something with some other organizations where we talk about this on a national level. There's a lot for us to get done right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to say to all of our listeners out there, I can't thank you enough for tuning in to today's episode of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And make sure you join us. On the next-